Young man, you may or may not have murdered a middle-aged widow, but you certainly saved the life of an elderly barrister. <laughs> I haven't murdered anybody. It's absurd. Christine, that's my wife. She thought I may be implicated and that I needed a lawyer. That's why I went to see Mr. Mayhew. Now, he thinks he needs a lawyer, and now I have two lawyers. It's rather silly, Mr. don't you Fowl, think? I am a solicitor. Sir Wilfred is a barrister. Only a barrister can actually plead a case in court. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we finished out the 1957 nominees with Witness for the Prosecution. And we were a little up in the air last week about whether or not we were going to like this, given the cast and director. And uh, I fucking loved it. I See, I'm still in a weird way kind of up in the air. Now, certainly there are parts of it I loved. Like Marlena Dietrich fucking rules in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the ending is really, really good. I just don't necessarily love how long we are not at the ending. <laughs> Like our our actual trial stuff, I'm a little bit blatter on, but I also think the ending kind of recontextualizes a lot of that stuff in interesting ways, uh, which we should probably talk about, despite the fact that the film explicitly tells us not to. Yeah, I've never actually seen a movie before that has a voiceover on top of the end credits saying... Please don't tell your friends who haven't seen this movie yet what the twist is. Yeah. It's a spoiler shaming. <laughs> mm-hmm. For the sake of everyone's enjoyment, please refrain from telling your friends the twist in Witness for the Prosecution. <laughs> I mean, I can see what you're saying about how long we are not at the end of this movie and the buildup even to the trial, is very long. Yeah. But Charles Lawton's ornery, upper-crust English barrister is a trope that is just after my own heart. And I can seriously just watch, which is funny because I've had an upper-crust Englishman as my horribly abusive boss, but I can somehow watch it on film for hours and find it to be funny, which maybe is just, like, something I should talk to my therapist about. I mean, sure. Don't we all have things to talk to our therapist about? But I also like, I like Charles Lawton in this as well. I think my main problem with it is one, well, I have two. One, this is not as noir as I think it needs to be. And whenever it does get out of step with that, it's not my favorite. And two, I really don't like Tyrone Power in this. I think in retrospect, his performance comes up to the level of being all right. Um, because in retrospect, the fact that he reads as just the guiltiest, smuggest fuck on the face of the planet from scene one is like, well, that's because he's guilty and smug as fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I, I, I liked but, it for that reason, but it did telegraph it a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think like that's my problem with like the first two acts is like, hey, the exact nature of the twist is a surprise. But the fact that this guy is going to be guilty and get away with it feels like, God, can we get to the part where he gets away with it? Because, like... I, yeah, so yeah. I guess we should we should definitely talk about the plot. And if you have any intention of watching this movie and do not want it spoiled for you, uh, I guess, like, skip to the end? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I am going to come down a little bit harder on this movie than than... Susan, I kind of feel comfortable saying watch this movie. So just like, if you don't want to be spoiled, just watch this movie. I think both of us are going to recommend that. Yeah, and then listen to this. Yeah. yeah. We did spoil our own episode, though. That's true. Um, <laughs> but we haven't given it a grade yet, and you don't know where it ranks among this year's nominees. So That's true. That's true. But I'm definitely coming down on watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, so the plot. Um, Tyrone Power. Well, I guess we should start with Charles Lawton, because it's really his movie, and he's great. Which is really interesting, actually, because, you know, the stereotypical noir, right, is always that it is the, the private detective. And we have now watched a super noir film where the main character who's like dealing with all of the double crossing criminals was an insurance salesman. <laughs> 
And now we've got a barrister with a heart condition. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, he plays much more like an Agatha Christie protagonist than a noir protagonist because he is an Agatha Christie protagonist. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> and like... I think when this movie manages to blend those two tones, because I do think it's going for noir, especially whenever Merlina Dietrich is on screen. Mm. And the moments where it manages to blend the Agatha Christie with the noir, this movie is great, which definitely, first and foremost, is the ending of this. And then whenever it kind of loses that balance, I'm either kind of checked out or bored. And that happens sometimes. But, like, I do think that the sort of nexus of that is Charles Lawton in certainly my favorite performance of his we've seen. Oh, unquestionably. I I don't even think there's anything that compares. Yeah. And he is, I mean, he's just Winston Churchill. He's just kind of a jowly, ornery... I'm going to do what I need to do, but also somebody hand me a cigar. I'm going to hit you with a cane. He is Winston Churchill in the way that any time that you see an English bulldog, you're like, that's just Winston Churchill in trapped in a dog. Like yeah. <laughs> every bulldog is just a, an incarnation of Winston Churchill and also Charles Lawton in this movie. <laughs> He's Winston Churchill in like a Doctor Who episode. Yes. Not like a, they're going for the Oscar Winston Churchill. It's that it's like, we need to establish this guy's Winston Churchill as fast as possible. Right. Very broad strokes. <laughs> But absolutely, you're like, oh, yeah, Winston Churchill. Okay, like a bowler hat and a cigar. And yeah, got it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he has just had a heart attack and all of his like minders, his nurse, his staff, everybody wants him to like slow down and take some civil cases for a while. But a friend of his walks in with Tyrone Power playing a character named Leonard Vole, which is just a guilty ass name. Like from that alone. Yeah. You're like. And a rat. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like literally named after a rodent. Yeah. But he's like, I don't know why anyone would suspect me of murder. I just mysteriously made friends with a rich old widow and then she died. And I have absolutely no alibi for my, my whereabouts at the time. But this is England. Nobody could find me guilty. And then <laughs> not Winston Churchill's like, yeah, they could. And he's like, oh, my Christ, they could. Well, then I need to retain you immediately. <laughs> and yes, then... Sir Wilfred, uh, which is th the Charles Lawton character, does this weird thing where he shines the reflection from his monocle in his eye as like an interrogation technique, which sucks because it doesn't work either time he tries to use it. No, it does not. And everyone's like, how did, did he did he pass the monocle test? And, and he's like, he did with flying colors. And I'm like. Why do you think this is a thing? <laughs> yeah, you probably should, like, read some evidence on the case rather than do this dumb monocle thing. It is a funny visual gag. I'll give it that. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. He decides because of this dumb monocle thing that Tyrone Power must be innocent. And, like, the only other guy he can think to send to be the defense attorney is like, I kind of think the dude's guilty. And so he's like, well, then I've got to take the case myself. So the closest thing he's got to an alibi is his wife, played by Marlena Dietrich, who is just a 130% noir movie. Like, just the light bends around her to become a noir film whenever she enters the scene. Yeah, she's somehow very well lit and yet always in the sharpest shadow. Yeah. Even, even when she's not, I'm like, yeah, there's just like a, there's like, a dirty street lamp coming in through this grimy window across her at all times. <laughs> yeah. And like, she plays very standoffish and is very like, well, if that's what he says I should say in court, then that's what I'll say in court and I'll do it well. I'm very German. I hope you don't hate me too much. Um, <laughs> and is also like, I will say the thing because that is what you want, but not because it is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> well, she never says not because that is in the truth in that first scene, but it's very clearly implied. Right. The implication <laughs> is like, look, I'm just going to say whatever it is that I need to say, but I'm not going to tell you what is true. It's very, it, it, she's so good. <laughs> she's fucking great in this. 
Then we get to the courtroom part, which I do think is kind of the weakest part of the movie in the, for large portions. There's fun stuff in here. Charles Lawton does fun little performancey bits. Um, he like gets all of his heart pills lined up because he gets bored. Um, but then also sometimes gets himself too worked up and almost dies, but has to do it for the case. And it's like fun little bits of business, but the actual like trial is meh until shockingly there is a witness for the prosecution. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and it's Marlena Dietrich. And as we all know from this project, a wife cannot be compelled to testify for against her husband. So how is this happening? Well, she has a secret actual husband in East Germany. So they're not really married. Which is how we get around the apparently real thing that a wife cannot testify against her husband. Boy, the past is a fucking foreign country, huh? Well, she can't be compelled to testify against her husband. That that still is true here. Yeah, but this is like, this seems to imply that like, she like she couldn't do it like she could be stopped if they were married seems to be what oh yeah charles yeah. lawton is like yeah i think that you can actually be like no i'm not gonna like i'm i'm not gonna let her but i have no idea being that i have never been in this position yeah and hope never to be yeah uh, but she basically blows up his entire defense and goes like, he didn't get home at 930. He got home at 1010. He was covered in blood and said he killed her. <laughs> Which like, uh, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. If anybody buys this, well, the point is that they're not supposed to. Right. Uh, and like, very notably, everybody in the crowd is like, I fucking hate this woman. <laughs> but also, I believe her. Yes. They they very clearly say that the crowd hates her, but believes her and likes Tyrone Power, but does not believe him, which is all uh, good instincts on the crowd's part, honestly, except for liking Tyrone Power. <laughs> um, like good, good reads all around. Because of her testimony... He's screwed. Like, he's definitely going to lose. But then suddenly there is a mysterious call in the dead of night and a woman with the worst Cockney accent on earth has called up Sir Wilfred to let him know that he has... She's got some extra evidence against that Christine lady, eh, governor? And, like, honestly, I did a better job just then. Um... But, like... Kind of on purpose, um, because of what we eventually figure out about this mysterious woman who manages to get like 50 pounds out of them, well, 45, because uh, they do a lot of negotiating for these letters from Marlena Dietrich, from the wife, to Max, who is her mysterious lover that she has decided to testify against Tyrone Power to be with. And Max has scarred the face of the mysterious woman, and that's why she was willing to destroy Christine's life. And they take those letters and force her to have a, like, gigantic breakdown in the middle of the courtroom about how she wrote the letters, and she did it all! She lied about him coming home covered in blood. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. And then, as a result, Tyrone Power is found innocent... But Charles Lawton thinks it's all too neat and tidy um, because it is. And then we get to our like actually super great twist that recontextualizes a lot of the movie and makes a lot of it way better, which is Christine's been playing everybody. Well, almost everybody. She's been playing everybody except Tyrone Power for his sake. She, in their very first meeting, is told nobody's going to believe the testimony of a loving wife. And immediately figures out, well, everybody will believe they uncovered a terrible scheming woman. So I'll just pretend to be one of those so that I can be discovered. And um, as a result, the jury will find Tyrone Power, who she is in love with, innocent. And Charles Lawton goes, well, that seems like a fucking lot of work. Like, you could have just told me and we could have done something together. And she's like... Yeah, no, you don't understand, because your problem is you think he's innocent. And everything I set up there that I that later confessed was a lie was absolutely the truth. She never confesses that it's a lie. Right. 
she confesses she wrote the letters. Yes. So, right. Fuck, she never Which even... Which is true. Yeah. Yeah. She did write them. She... she faked that there was some dude named Max and wrote... And she says she spent hours writing these letters. Yeah. She never actually commits perjury because she goes up and tells the truth and then makes herself look unstable so that everybody in the crowd can go, we uncovered the lying woman and decide that all of the shit she's told implicating her husband that was totally true was a lie. And uh, Tyrone Power comes out and immediately confesses and goes like, double jeopardy. It works the way it works in movies. You can never find me guilty now. (laughs) I've already been tried. I'm, I'm out, so... Yeah, but then also reveals that he has been having an affair with a younger woman... Uh, and cheating on Marlena Dietrich, and Marlena Dietrich goes full Marlena Dietrich and stabs him to death. With a letter opener? Yeah. With a knife? Yeah. (laughs) A knife that's on the table that's supposed to be a piece of evidence, but there's never a knife that's used as a piece of evidence at any point. At least not that we see, yeah. Yeah. And then the end is that, like, Sir Wilfred decides to take on her case, And the nurse that he's had a, like, haranguing relationship with for the whole movie is like, well, you know what? You've got to defend her now. And, like, now they're friends. And she understands that, like, he's got to go take on this new case. And that's the end of the movie. And, like, I'm kind of underselling the end-end part because just the last scene in general is so fucking great. Well, it's not even really that Tyrone Power reveals that he has been having an affair. It's that his girlfriend, who is mentioned in the trial, because someone does see him at some point wearing the outfit that is passed around in a photograph to try to get someone to be his alibi for going home earlier than the murder happened. Saw him with some sort of, what does this say, like a dishy brunette? Clingy. Clingy, yes. The clingy brunette runs in and throws her arms around him and then is like, we've been going together for weeks and we're running away. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who is this chick? And where does she get off thinking that she is going to be any match for Marlena Dietrich? <laughs> and then immediately the movie is like, oh, don't worry, we know. <laughs> yeah, I, she is just there so Marlena Dietrich can stab him. Yes. Like, like th- don't worry, we got this. <laughs> um, but it's also just like a lot of this movie, there is a lot of casual sexism in this movie that I... I honestly still don't know if all of it the movie knows it's doing, but a lot of it, that last scene really recontextualizes as like, oh, she was playing everybody in this way where like, it's not just her when like the the maid is called up too, like the whole trial is really very built around like believing women and kind of mocking women and going like, well, did you really know what you were talking about? Can you really be believed? Yeah, like basically, do women have brains? Who knows? Let's find out. Hmm, I don't think so, actually. Yeah. (laughs) And then all of the women being like, well, not all of them, but at least Marlene Dietrich being like, yeah, so the fact that you underestimate us is how I was able to get away with this shit. (laughs) Yeah. And like... Then the terrible twist is she did it for a guy that absolutely doesn't fucking deserve it. And then the better part is then she stabs him and the and Charles Lawton is like, well, now I've got to get her off because this was definitely justifiable homicide. Yeah. Because he's like, she didn't kill him. She executed him. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, she did. Yeah. And it rules. And like, it is tonally correct. Like... It is such high melodrama when she stabs him, and it's fucking great. Yep. Like, it just, it it has completely detached itself from reality by that point in the scene, and that is not a complaint in any way. It makes Tyrone Power's performance better in retrospect. It makes so much of Marlena Dietrich's performance on the stand like so great because you then in retrospect are in the moment you're like she's really playing this up and then you're like yeah she's really playing this up like explicitly oh yeah i mean she she walks onto that stand and is like 
And now for my performance as the world's worst fucking person. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it is, I, I get why there is a like, spoiler warning special message from the theater after this, because the twist is what makes it. Like, we've seen movies with third act twists before, but this is the first, like, six Sense-esque, like, this recontextualizes the whole movie. The whole movie is really about this twist. Yes. Third act twist we've ever seen. Um, And it's, it's fucking good. It's a good twist. Yeah. And it's not, I mean... The Sixth Sense was nominated for Best Picture, right? I'm not totally sure about that. It was in 99. So, yeah. um, because <laughs> here's the thing about it. This is not like me bragging because usually I don't guess these things before everyone else does. But I went to see that movie and people were like, oh, my God, you have to be. There's like such a crazy twist. And maybe because they said that I was set up to be looking for it. But pretty early on in the movie, I was like, literally nobody is talking to Bruce Willis except for the kid. And the kid tells him that he sees dead people. So, like, Bruce Willis is dead, right? Also, spoilers for The Sixth Sense. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, if you have not heard that twist by now, I assume that you live in a cave and can't listen to this podcast anyway. Yeah. And and also the thing about that movie that is not true about uh, most M. Night Shyamalan movies uh, is uh, that that movie is actually better when you know the twist. It is! Uh, the performances make more sense. The emotional through line of scenes is a lot clearer. And I think in a very similar way, I did not find the twist in this movie particularly hard to guess. I definitely found the idea that she was... that she actually loved him. That was the twist for me. I totally believed that he murdered that chick because he was way too like, gee, golly, I didn't even know that she had that much money. I was just going to ask her for a hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah. 80,000 pounds that she left to me shortly before I, I mean, she died. <laughs> yeah. Like he's, he is super duper guilty from scene one. And kind of the biggest problem with this film is that Charles Lawton would believe for a single moment that he isn't. Like, he's just got to be real confident in that dumb shit monocle test. But, like, I, I I agree that it isn't immediately apparent what her game is. I figured it out once the mysterious woman showed up. Because the mysterious woman is very clearly her. Like, they do a good makeup job, but, like, she's so distractingly like doing a performance this mysterious woman i think the thing that makes it not work is that despite the fact that they have like blacked this woman's teeth and she's wearing a horrible wig and they have that like fake scar on her face that other than that you're like this woman is hot yeah like she carries herself hot and i'm supposed to think that she's like some kind of you know gutter snipe from the sewer of East London, and I'm finding her attractive. Something is wrong here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, like, and also, like, who the fuck does that? <laughs> yeah. And, like, then you start putting together these pieces of, like, well, that's a bad Cockney accent. Like, the, that, like, the only person it makes sense to be pretending to be this woman is Christine, is Marlena Dietrich. So you're like, well, then she's got to be doing this to... Like, it's got to be a long con to get him found innocent. Yeah, see, I definitely didn't get that far. I was like, maybe this is the... Maybe this is the girlfriend? But wow, this doesn't seem like the, you know, the clingy brunette as described. Yeah, I mean... I, oh, boy, I hate the clingy brunette, too. She sucks. She's there for 30 seconds, and she very clearly establishes that she sucks. I mean, anybody who rolls in and is like... You're old. And I was like, fuck you, bitch, get out. <laughs> it's also great because she's like up in the like audience box. I don't know if that has a fucking name in England. Uh, oh, by the way, this all takes place in England. I, I imagine you assumed because of how much we talked about Winston Churchill. This is all a British court. They all they're wearing the wigs. Well, and we said barrister. Oh, right. Yeah. But like. Up there, the nurse... In the gallery. Yeah, in the gallery, the nurse is having a conversation with this, like, rando brunette. And the rando brunette keeps having, like... She, it's great because she's, like, this Greek chorus character in the sense that, like, you now know what the idiots in the audience think about whatever the hell just happened. 
<laughs> like, you know how this is playing for the peanut gallery because of her, and then the reveal is, actually, she's very involved in this and is an idiot. And has a lot of internalized sexism. Yep. And is really clingy. I mean, it's remarkable. Like, that's what she's described as. <laughs> like, she runs in and she shouts, you're old, at Marlena Dietrich while hanging off of Tyrone Power. Like, does not even stand back. Well, that's sort of the great thing about the reveal is that it is very much played as him, like, coming out and doing the reveal of his, like, mastermindness. And you're kind of like, wait a second, he has definitely not been with this girl for more than a month or two. His plan was Marlena Dietrich will figure it out. Like, this dumb smug fuck, like, really doesn't have any kind of a plan. He's j Women just find him hot, and he's had an easy life, so he just decided to murder a woman. And was like, yes, it's all gone according to plan. <laughs> like, which, again, is great. Which I definitely <laughs> felt when I was watching that. Wow, this guy thinks that he's the shit. Yeah. And his plan was just, and and definitely portrays himself as like, this was all my plan all along. And it's like, so your plan was to just let Marlene Dietrich figure it out? Yeah. That doesn't make you smart, dude. That makes you, that makes you lazy. Yeah. Because like, what if she didn't? What if she knew about your clingy brunette? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, let me try not to also have internalized sexism while talking about the, uh, the internalized sexism of the clinging brunette. I, but like, I, I really. It's a challenge. It, it is, because she sucks. Yes. And like, a little bit, I do think that kind of the complication for this movie is that it has a really interesting thing to say about sexism that it doesn't quite have enough time to unpack and that it does. While doing a lot of sexist shit, I'm not sure it knows it's doing. Yeah, there is a real there is a real feeling that Marlena Dietrich is not like other girls. Yeah. Um It's like don't underestimate a woman, but you know, most of them are still gonna be as, you know, not very bright as you think that they are. But occasionally there will be a Marlena Dietrich, so you know, be on your guard. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, I guess. Is that is that a lesson we want to teach? <laughs> yeah. Most women are dumb, but sometimes they're not, in which case you should really be looking out for the ones who aren't, is not exactly the anti-sexist message that I think this movie thinks it is. And, like, I think a great example of this, and, like, really the, like, place where I can't kind of figure out which side the movie's coming down on is the maid. The, the maid of the murdered woman who hates Tyrone Power from word one, which, like, she should. He fucking sucks. Yeah. And is just out to murder this rich woman for her money. And it's interesting that she never gets her sort of acknowledgement that her instincts were correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, oh, well, you just always hated this guy. Like, yeah, because he sucks. Yeah. Because he's transparently smarmy and scheming. Yeah. And, like, the the... Interestingly, not just Charles Lawton, but, like, actually, literally, the judge clowns on her. Yeah. Like, everybody in the courtroom just makes fun of this woman, and she's fucking right about everything. Yep. <laughs> and she gets a little mention in that last scene. Tyrone Power does kind of give her a quick mention in his victory lap. But I am never quite sure whether the movie really knows that, like, hey... If anybody just listened to a woman, we would have solved this in, like, five minutes. Yeah. And, like, I, I think Agatha Christie knows that. I think the twist for sure knows that. But does Billy Wilder know that? Like, does the movie know that? I'm I'm honestly... I'm... I don't even know that I would say that I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that it doesn't. <laughs> There are definitely scenes where it sure is fucked up. Yeah. Like, it, it it does not consistently know that if it knows it at all. And I do think that's kind of a problem. But I do think, like, uh, the, the whole reason I was bringing up 
that I figured the twist out was not to go like, ho, ho, I think the twist is super easy to figure out. But to say, like, I think the third act plays a lot better if you kind of figure it out a little bit early. Because <laughs> Marlena Dietrich goes real big in the scene where she's confronted about the letters. Yeah, I at that point, I was like, something is afoot here. Yeah. Like, this feels... This feels a little extra, especially after she had been so incredibly ice cold when she first gets on the stand. Yeah. And like that felt a little bit like, all right, what's what's going on here? Yeah. And like, I I think honestly, it plays really well. Like Charles Lawton has this line in the last scene of I suspected something, but not that. When she does the big reveal. Right. And I was like, <laughs> you and me, Charles Lawton. You and me. Yeah. <laughs> Same page uh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I felt. Like, I didn't suspect. But it's, I mean, it's like I said, that I thought that definitely she, uh, that or that Tyrone Power was definitely guilty. But I was like, I don't know what she's up to. Then it was like, oh, well, she's definitely up to something. But I'm still not sure what it is. But then I wasn't surprised at the twist, I guess. Yeah. I was a little bit surprised at the at her saying that she loved him. I'm not even sure that I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, okay, whatever. The movie wants me to think that. That's I, I can get on board, I guess, with that. I think that it was just challenging to believe because it's like, really? You? That guy? <laughs> what, is he funny or something? No, actually, he is not. Yep. We've watched a lot of flashbacks. He's not. No. And was, like, super pushy the night that they met. Yeah. I was kind of like, this guy's got uh, that whole, like... Yeah. Well, maybe it's not technically being rapey, but presenting almost no other option thing going on. Like, there was just not an option to say no in the way that he came on to her. Yeah. It really felt like if she did, the result would be violence. For sure. And, like, or at least, like hey, this would end bad for her. Yeah. Like, he has all the power in this relationship, both physically and just sort of socially. Internationally. <laughs> right, exactly. Because it's immediately post-war. And, like, yeah, I think that is another scene where I end up going, like, Marlena Dietrich knows what's going on in this scene. Yes. The story knows what's going on in this scene. Does Tyrone Power know? Like... This is a movie I would actually kind of love to see remade. Ooh, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of ways to screw it up, but it's unfortunately a pretty fucking timely murder mystery um, still. And like, there's a lot of shit you could do with it. And a lot of people I think would be great for all of these central roles. Oh, okay. Well, now we have to have Dreamcast Corner. Okay. Dreamcast Corner. Uh, fuck. I had like a- Ryan Gosling and Tyrone Powers. Right. Yes. Role. That's like- So likable. So impossible to believe could commit violence. Yeah. But then, but then has the acting chops to turn around and make you- I mean, if you've seen Driver, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely think like that's that's the or drive yeah not driver I'm like got baby driver and drive confused for a moment, um but yeah I think he's the layup right like he's the just like I almost don't want to do it because it's like such clear like mapping game that's who you'd get, um but also like that's who you'd get. I had a really good Marlena Dietrich while I was watching this movie, and now I... I was going to say, like, how do you even recast Marlena Dietrich in anything? Because, like, you know, Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> right. I, but, like, it was... Uh, fuck. Uh, it, uh, who is it that has... Um, I struggle to say accused because he definitely did it. Marilyn Manson? Evan Rachel Wood? I kind of think she'd be interesting as this specific thing. I don't think she's as good as Marlena Dietrich, but I think, like, this specific bit of, like, you're kind of underestimating her. Like, I think she could do the turn really well. Uh, yeah. I think she could do the turn really well. I, hmm. Who do I think would be good for this? I feel like it has to be someone who's at least in their 30s. I, I'm leaning toward someone actually who's also in Westworld. Okay. Sandy Newton. 
Oh. I think would be yeah. tremendous in this part. Yeah. Um, Is it Thandy or Tandy? I never know. I think I... Yeah, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I, I am looking this up because it has bothered me a long time. That makes a lot of sense. It's bothered me since, like, the second Mission Impossible movie, so... It is Tandyway. Okay. So, yeah, I think that she would do a tremendous job in this role. I mean, she's English, so I feel like she could... Are we updating it or are we setting it in the same era? I think we're updating it, though, if we're, like, though actually Evan Rachel Wood is only really good casting if we're not. So, but I, I do think updating it gives you a little bit more leeway to do some interesting stuff. Because I do think like, hey, the power dynamic between the two of them is from a very specific period of time in this movie, but that power dynamic is uh, not exactly confined to 1945 of how they met and the nature of their relationship. Teddy Way Newton is also eight years older than Ryan Gosling, which I feel like is a good sweet spot for that, where when the clingy brunette comes in and is like, you're old, that you're like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Like, not in any meaningful yeah. way, but, like, enough that somebody who was, like, 21 would think that that was really, really egregious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but who plays Charles Lawton's character? Uh, I mean, it's a day ending and why, so I'm sad Philip Seymour Hoffman is dead, because he'd fucking absolutely... Oh, yeah. I think there would be too much pathos, actually. Yeah. Um, I would actually be genuinely concerned about him having a heart attack. Whereas in this, I'm like, that's just this is just a bit. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's his piece of flair in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to sort of... I'm thinking Stephen Fry. Oh, now that's interesting. But maybe too funny? Yeah, no, but I like that for that reason. But also, uh, fuck, what's his name? Who plays... Uh, uh, the mentor e figure on Barry. Oh, I haven't watched Barry yet. Stephen Root is maybe not famous enough anymore to be. Oh no, but that's perfect. Yeah. I like. I literally just got ASMR at the thought of that casting. <laughs> like I have goosebumps right now because that is so perfect. Yes, absolutely. And then we. I mean, we have two maid characters. Yeah. But I suppose that those are kind of like, anybody can play these. Eh, I, I, I mean, like, anybody who's good enough at being an actor. Like, there's no real... Their their whole, like, shtick is just a maid. <laughs> yeah. I do think, like, you want a withering old maid, and then you want, like, somebody who can, like, g give as good as she gets for the... The, the nurse character for Charles Lawton. Though she does feel like she's not giving quite as good as she gets, because she does always get overruled. I She almost always gets overruled. There's like three times she doesn't, and all of them are great. But like, the, the, the time he's like, I'm going to hit you over the head with this cane, and she's like, you wouldn't do that. That would ruin the cigars that are hidden within your cane. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she just like unscrews it right there and all the cigars fall out. <laughs> I do think like if we're rewriting this, I would like her to win a couple more times. I would like it to feel a little bit less like a foregone conclusion when the two of them like reconcile at the end and she's on his team now. Do we have Elsa Lanchester's anymore? Like that's such a specific type, you know, lower class English woman who maybe isn't very well educated and doesn't have a lot of power but somehow ends up attaining status in a scene despite it like the the streetwise like we don't really have that anymore uh, yeah i think we've made him too hot now like like in a weird way that's like a billy piper part now oh yeah that's true that is kind of like what rose ends up well, that's what Rose starts Being, out as before yeah. she becomes the romantic interest. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. It is a Doctor Who companion part now in a weird way. Yeah, we make them like hot and sort of plucky instead of... Mm -hmm. uh, not that Elsa Lanchester wasn't... I mean, she was very attractive, but it was mostly to do with that kind of snottiness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, their dynamic is just great because Charles Lawton was gay and Lanchester was his wife. And, you know, uh, 
apparently they had sort of a not entirely happy lavender marriage um or one-sidedly <laughs> lavender and that dynamic comes out weirdly in their performances together <laughs> She brings out the best in him. For sure. And like, I do think it's kind of when you, because I was reading up a lot about Night of the Hunter after we watched Night of the Hunter. I do think it's kind of charming that apparently like, as soon as they got married, he was just like, you're right for every part for her forever. (laughs) Like really did spend a lot of time going like, you should play the old woman who runs the orphanage role in Night of the Hunter. And to her credit, she's like, I'm going to be terrible for that. Don't do that. Don't (laughs) do that. And I just think it's very charming. Uh, And I do think that like, hey, in this case, it actually, their chemistry does work really well on screen. He says some terrible shit to her as a character, but it never really goes over that line, you know? Yes. You never really think like, oh, that's just fucking too mean. He's just an asshole. Because you can sort of tell there's this sort of underlying relationship that will not be broken there. And that she's been around him long enough to know that that uh, he's just gotten old and mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, minor character, but Henry Daniel as uh, Mr. Mayhew, who is the initial, I think it's him, who is the initial lawyer who brings Tyrone Power to Charles Lawton, mm-hmm. is a part that... I think Henry Daniel is actually quite good in it, but Samuel West, who is alive and well and acting today and is of the right age, was born to play this very minor part, which is a weird thing to say about someone who is, like, a very accomplished actor. (laughs) (laughs) But he would just, like, I mean, one, you show up for one day of work and you get to have this great, like, oh, yes, I'm just sort of an upper-class British person who's um, uh, a bit... um, just like this very specific type. Yeah. Where they never say anything wrong at all, ever, and don't have opinions and don't really have feelings that they demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like really good casting. I've always, I mean, he's a much too talented actor to, 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 to like reduce to just this, but he also looks just enough like a kind of less attractive Colin Firth Mm. that like he's really good for that kind of officious part of like I'm blandly handsome I should be here people like me but like I also just kind of look like a hotter person you know (laughs) um and there's a lot of like lawyers who kind of look like somebody who is hot Yes. You know what? Actually, you saying Colin Firth makes me realize one of the problems with Tyrone Power in this role is that Tyrone Power is, and it I'm I'm not into him, but he has a dark, magnetic sexuality that I think doesn't work for this character. I, I agree. Because this character feels a little, this character doesn't feel like they have enough depth to have that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he definitely feels like he's in the bubble from 30 Rock, but for murdering somebody. <laughs> um, which we've said before. Yeah. <laughs> but this is like the male version of that, where there is just this sense of like, everything has kind of just worked out for this guy, which has led him to believe that he is smart. Right. And I don't get that from Tyrone Power. I get from Tyrone Power that maybe maybe everything has worked out for him and that has led him to believe that he's smart, but also that he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, Tyrone Power would be committing murders anyway, whether or not there was something to gain on the other side. <laughs> and maybe he was a genuinely lovely person, I have no idea, but uh, he doesn't come off that way. <laughs> He, I mean, he reads as guilty. Yeah. And it is a problem because of how much of this movie is him insisting there is an innocent explanation for shit that makes him look super guilty. And everybody just buys it where you're like, he's super guilty. Like, what is anyone talking about? Oh, I just happened to meet this woman at a hat shop and then just happened to run into her a couple more times. And then she just happened to ask me back to her place and put me in her will. And then she just happened to die. 
And you're like, you fucking murdered her, you fuck. Like, this is none of this is that is not the way he is charming is you just believe the best about this guy. The way he is charming is you'll put up with his shit. Right, like which is a different thing. He's the kind of guy that you look at and you go, "Oh, I would let him ruin my life," and he will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, I couldn't believe this guy ruined my life. You like walk into this going, "Yep, I'm gonna get so fucked up by this, and it's worth it." And then you later, you're like, "It's not worth it. It was fucking terrible." But yeah, he definitely has uh, that kind of like dark magnetism. That yeah, you don't you don't believe? Oh, it's just a, a terrible coincidence that this nice guy got wrapped up in this. You know who it is who should play him because it, we're fucking all Westworld all the time. Apparently, we are. It's James Marsden. That's who should be playing Tyrone Powers' part in our theoretical remake. Because you would believe James Marsden is just sort of like chucks and around and accidentally ends up like with no alibi for this murdered old lady he was just being real nice to and then james marston could also totally pull off the like sneering third act reveal of like actually i've been an asshole the whole time you know what's interesting is that my first impulse was like no way because he's so like james marston is absolutely has that kind of like dark magnetic sexuality and then i was like wait a minute but teddy convinced me for two seasons that he was just like all shucks i'm a sweet guy on westworld so you're right like he has he really does not get enough credit for having incredible acting chops yeah and like he's he's really fucking good he's really fucking good in so much shit too he's great on 30 rock he's great in the sonic the hedgehog movies like he is just uh, great. which i haven't seen and the fact that they're like well obviously you'll be watching them once they were both nominated for best picture right let me let well, me I mean, check the 2022 the, nominees so, haven't come yeah. out yet david so uh so you know. idris elba as knuckles has not yet been announced as the front runner for best actor shut the but fuck up that is not a real thing <laughs> that is a real thing no <laughs> No way! That is that is who voices Knuckles the Echidna in the second Sonic the Hedgehog movie. You know, Ryan Reynolds is really excellent in Detective Pikachu, so like, fine. I believe you. <laughs> I watched that on a plane and I was like, damn, this movie is fucking great. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, it's. I, I was shocked at how good... I've watched a lot of really good cartoon movies on planes and been like, I can't believe it took me being on a plane and like trapped on this metal tube for 12 hours to finally watch this movie like that's how i saw uh spider-verse and that movie is amazing that movie is arguably the best animated film of the past 10 years yeah it's so fucking good it's so good anyway this has been extremely divergence corner yeah uh, on screen session <laughs> time so I guess we should rate this movie now that we've Dreamcast the remake. Yeah, um, I, you can talk me into going higher, but my starting position is a seven. Uh, so I, my my impulse is eight, but I do think that this movie has some some sexism that it, uh, it should confront. So I'm gonna bump it down to a seven. I think I can I think I can get behind a seven. Yeah, I think this is a like watch this movie seven. Like it's got some problems, but what it does well is worth watching. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, I found it to be really engaging from beginning to end. I know that you felt like some of the trial was a little bit uh, boring, but. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't derail, but it definitely kind of chugs along there for 20, 30 minutes, I think in the middle until Marlena Dietrich shows back up basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, story of any movie with her in it, I guess. Um, yeah. Fair. She's so um, fucking good, man. She, she's really like five, not quite. Cause four of those seven points are basically exclusively Marlena Dietrich. I will say, I think that this script is really good. I, and I think that a lot of the times where it, uh, where it drags or where it feels like it, it's it's not even really that it it drags because I feel like the script writing is not the issue. There's like an energy drop 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And also the fucking judge that Billy Wilder seems to think is hilarious and leaves so much room for laugh lines around anything he does is not funny. Mm, Yeah. He's okay. And Charles Lawton actually is funny. And, you know, comedy doesn't age well. But the judge is like, you know what he's doing is he's playing the president of the Senate in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, except with way more lines. And like, I'm bored and over this doesn't really work for a trial that has this much fucking bonkers shit that comes up in it. Yeah, he's not great. The only thing I will say in the defense of that character, and I don't even think it's a defense of the actor or the script, I think it just accidentally kind of works out that this judge thinks he's hilarious. Yeah, I do get that impression. (laughs) (laughs) And So this is going to be a really long episode because this is also the last movie in 57, so we have to say whether or not we think that the Academy chose correctly. And... I don't know. And it's an actual fucking decision this time. Yeah. It's like I was thinking about this before we even add witness to the prosecute for the prosecution to the equation, which I think is our third best movie. I do think it's a step down from our two real contenders here. But I also think it's significantly better than either Sayonara or Peyton Place. Yeah, both of which I thought were, you know, like they had their problems. They were better than a lot of things that we've ever seen. I think Sayonara even was better than Peyton Place, but that's me. I don't love either movie. But 12 Angry Men versus Bridge on the River Kwai. And the problem there is they are so fucking different. It is almost like there should be two separate awards. Yeah. I mean, I'm... Yeah. I am going to go for Bridge on the River Kwai and can be talked out of it. But here is my argument. The acting in both movies is fucking impeccable. The plotting in both movies is fucking impeccable. The cinematography's better in Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay, but, and here's my argument for that. Okay. Is it the cinematography, or is it that you're in some place other than one single room in a courthouse? <laughs> because... That, yeah. That... I'm, I think the cinematography in 12 Angry Men is actually pretty great and tells a lot of the story, but also, like, there's only so much of that that you can... It's all about close-ups, right? Yeah, and, like, the shot of him throwing the knife down. Like, they do... There is great... You're right. That, like, fuck. Because it is this thing of... I think Bridge on the River Kwai is a prettier movie... But it also has more to work with. The fact that 12 Angry Men manages to be a compelling movie and a compelling movie visually in essentially one set. One not very large set. In black and white. Yeah. No no real set dressing to speak of. No exciting costumes. Like, it is all up to... And again, it's like a completely different type of cinematography as well. Like, it's cinematography that is focused on the individual. Whereas Bridge on the River Kwai... I mean, I'm not going to take away from its cinematography, even though it has more to work with. Because you have, like, the entirety of the cinematography for when they bring in the the large group of prisoners at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. from when they're marching to when they're all lined up in the yard to when you get the close-ups on their individual like their shoes that have fallen apart or their injuries like there are really brilliant things in that film i'm gonna have to say it's a tie i kind of have to do because every single time i kind of want to put one ahead I'm like, oh, yeah, but, like, Henry Fonda's so good in 12 Angry Men. Yeah, but, like, that fucking walk it out of the hot box by Alec Guinness. Oh, that just breaks the, my heart oh. into a thousand pieces knowing where it came from. God, it's like, yeah, it is just straight up. I think this is our first, like, this is our first I can't decide. Like, I, I certainly am not mad at the Academy for picking Bridge on the River Kwai. No, because I, I do think that it is the best film of the year. It's also just that 12 Angry Men is as well the best film of this year. <laughs> yeah. Then it's 
then it's witness for the prosecution. And then I think it's a, I do think we would order them differently, but I do think it's just very clearly just another tier down to Peyton Place and Sayonara. It's a big drop off there. Yeah. Um, And I think actually for me, Sayonara, the reason that it, that I think that it's better is I like the acting style in it better, which a lot of that is down to Marlon Brando. Yeah. Who again, kind of a shit human being, but I can't say anything about, about his acting. He was a fucking tremendous actor. I mean, you know, apparently Henry Fonda was like a horribly abusive, narcissistic father to Jane Fonda and is also one of the most empathetic, incredible moving actors that ever was caught on screen so you know what are you gonna do yeah and they're both dead so it's not like they're getting royalties from these movies anyway (laughs) fair but yeah i would say like this was a really good year for movies like even sinar or peyton place well behind yeah when, when the movies that drop off to a whole different tier are still head and shoulders above some of the best movies that we've watched even in this decade yeah and are like miles better than anything in 55 other than Picnic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would say Peyton Place or Sayonara, I would take over any movie in 55. Like, Peyton Place is maybe not better than Picnic, but I think it's a little more engaging. (laughs) And I think it's, like, actually weirdly a very similar film to Picnic in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, it is. It has something that is like the Picnic, but not nearly as weird and... Specific and... Culty. yeah. (laughs) and like strangely tribal and pagan yeah i i I think it just has to be a tie yeah and i understand that that's not a thing that can happen for the academy awards but you know what it's our fucking podcast and we can do that (laughs) you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna say on three let's just both arbitrarily pick one and just say it out loud and god willing we'll say different ones okay um okay so, uh, one, two, three, Twelve Bridge on the men. River Kwai. Oh, we Excellent. did it! Yeah, <laughs> that's, okay. that's who's, that's the best picture this for this year. not cut together, by the way. Yeah. We actually did that at exactly the same time <laughs> and said different movies. Cool, so there's just no picking. Yeah, there's no picking, <laughs> uh, and I think that's great. So, <sighs> yeah, next week we are starting, uh... Frankly, killer year for film. Yeah. 1958. Uh, well, I say that. We are starting a year for film where I have heard of every single movie and I have heard that they are all good from people I generally respect. We've got we've got our first Sydney Poitier. We got Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. We got Gigi. Yes. We got... Auntie Mame. Auntie Mame. And we've got Separate Tables, which is the only one I haven't heard of. I have heard of that one. Um... But that is mostly because my maternal grandmother and my mom both absolutely worshipped Edith Head, who was the costume designer for it, and was, like, the costume designer for everything that was great for, like, 45 years. She was, like, Jenny Beaven of before Jenny Beaven, <laughs> and is what She's... Edna Mode is based on in The Incredibles. I was about to say, if if you are the specific type of nerd I am, she's Edna Mode. Yes. Uh, and my mom always talked about the costumes for Rita Hayworth and Deborah Kerr in this, so... Okay. Apparently it's got good costumes. I have absolutely no idea what it's actually about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are starting with Gigi, and that was the winner, which normally in a year where we start with the winner, I'm filled with dread. But again, uh, the Defiant One's and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof existed this year, so... I'm interested... I think we'll be okay. I'm interested to see Maurice Chevalier now that our nemesis is dead. Right, like, how does Maurice Chevalier work independent of Lubitsch? Yeah. Like, is he just a smug fuck with a punchable face? <laughs> or... Or is that, like, charm that he... Like, we talked a lot back with the the Lubitsch films of like every single time Maurice Chevalier would kind of get me to buy in for the first 15 20 minutes until the plot just made him such an irredeemable shit heel yeah that I like couldn't anymore yeah um 
And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm also just interested to see Gigi because I've never seen it and talk about a fucking movie I know exists um, from my mother. That is unsurprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've, I never, certainly if I ever watched this, I was so young, I have no memory of it. So yeah, tune in next week to find out if Maurice Chevalier can be a redeemable shit <laughs> independent of Ernst Lubitsch or not. And until then... Uh, this should be a movie in a few years again, but it was a movie already. And I understand that Hollywood has a mixed record with that. <laughs> um, but that's, I don't that's know. That's true, but I feel like they could do, I feel like they could do this with justice. I, I feel like it's... Yeah. It's pretty easy. You just cast the right people and you got it. Yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye, everybody. Join the party. Have a hearty glass of rum. Don't ever think about tomorrow. For tomorrow may never come. When I find me a happy place, that's where I want to stay. Time is nothing as long as I'm living it up this way. I may never go home anymore. Dim the lights and start locking the door. Give your arms to me, give your charms to me. After all, that's what sailors are for. I've got kisses and kisses galore. That have never been tasted before If you treat me right This could be the night I may never go home 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 I may never go home, never go home anymore <laughs>